0: The sermon was written by Reverend Steve Van Lewin of the Calgary Canadian Reformed Church. After the sermon we will sing in response Psalm 16 verses 1 to 4. Dearly beloved of our Lord Jesus Christ, in order to fully grasp what is happening in our text this morning, we need to consider some background information. When Moses led the people out of Egypt and they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, He arrived at the borders of Canaan, but as you know, he never entered the land. But before the Lord took him, he left the people of God with some divine instructions that laid out both the blessing and the curses that would follow them based on their actions. In the event that they were faithful to the Lord, we read the following from Deuteronomy 28. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the field blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle the increase of your herds and the young of your flock the Lord will open to you his good treasury the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. But the opposite would be the case if they turned away from the God who had brought them into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Deuteronomy 28 also gives us the other possibility where God says, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, Then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease, and with fever, inflammation, and fiery heat, and with drought, and with blight, and with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish and the heavens over your head shall be bronze, and the earth under you shall be iron, and the Lord will make the rain of your land powder. From heaven, dust shall come down on you until you are destroyed. And that is what the Israelites were facing in the days of Ahab and Elijah. They had incurred the curse of God, and for three long years they had suffered under a severe drought. And in all that time, Elijah had been living outside the promised land, with the widow of Zarephath in Sidon. But as we have seen, the Lord had miraculously preserved the widow's household along with the prophet Elijah. And God had revealed to the widow a message that the suffering people of God desperately needed and to be reminded of that the God of Israel was a sovereign God over both life and death. It was a reality that many in Israel seemed to have forgotten, including their king Ahab. But there were those like Obadiah that still knew that their lives rested in the sovereign power of God, and that it is where chapter 18 begins revealing the contrasting responses of Ahab and Obadiah. And so we ask the important question alluded to in our text, where do you seek your blessing? First in the strength of humanity, Ahab's response, and second in the word of God, Obadiah's response. Brothers and sisters, we left off last time in chapter 17 with the message that God is a God of judgment, but also the God of mercy, Yahweh, the God of Israel, punishes sin just like we read in scripture, where it says that the wages of sin is death. But he is also the God of mercy, who breathes new life into those who are dead in their sins. And this principle is miraculously illustrated in the death of the widow's son. The widow had been a servant of Baal and as such, she was under judgment, her and her whole family. Such sin deserved God's wrath which was put on display by the death of her one and only son. What she had really needed needed was a mediator, someone to bear the judgment in her place. What she needed was God to offer up his one and only son so that he could stand in the gap between her and God as a mediator of life. She needed that, so that she and her son could live and we see that foreshadowed by the prophet elijah who goes to god on her behalf and her son is miraculously raised from the dead and so we see the wonders of god's great grace and mercy in the life of the widow and it teaches us an important gospel lesson that when the sinner turns to god's appointed mediator the result is new life but that message had not yet come home to the nation of Israel. And so the narrative continues with Elijah still in the house of the widow in Zarephath at the beginning of chapter 18. It is important that we make this initial connection because chapter 17 provides a context for Elijah's return to Israel because Israel needed to be confronted with the same scenario. Look at where this worshipper of Baal found her, redemp- found her redemption in the God of Israel. The God you abandoned and nothing has really changed beloved we all need to be confronted by that same question are you going to live in your sin under the judgment of God or are you going to heed the covenant call of your savior as proclaimed by his holy word and live under God's blessing unfortunately many choose the first option even those in the church they want to follow the bales of our own age living with one foot in the world and one in the church And it is not until they are brought to the brink of utter despair and ruin that the gospel message begins to penetrate into their hearts. And so we observe the covenant God of Israel and his love for his strained people, bringing them to the point of despair, so that he can return with the life-giving message of salvation. Our text says, After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. We are being informed that a significant amount of time had passed since Elijah had first declared to Ahab that it would not rain. It is not entirely clear if the third year being referred to is a third year since the drought began or since he arrived in Seraphath. Nevertheless, it was enough time for God's severe judgment to be felt throughout the whole land of Israel. Verse 2 confirms that the famine was severe in the land of Samaria. You would think that after Elijah had announced the judgment of God, that it would not rain, that Ahab would have been convinced by now. Initially, Ahab might have thought that the judgment was just a coincidence. A lucky guess. But as time wore on, the claim of Elijah must have begun to put doubt in his mind. Remember those words of judgment that Elijah had spoken to Ahab back in 1 Kings 17? As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years, except by my word. And that was exactly what had occurred. The drought was so severe that there was no grass to be found near the city of the king. And yet the king was not turning to God in prayer or seeking his life and protection in the blessing of the Lord. His mind does not go back to the promises of Deuteronomy that if they turn in obedience to the God of Israel, they would live under his blessing. His thinking does not consider that the disastrous situation in which he found himself was the direct result of failing to live in obedience to the God of Israel. He was blinded by his sin and his self-reliance. Without the blessings of God and the failure of Baal to provide the rains needed to appease the drought, he had to decide what to do. And really, what are his options? He only has two. Turn to God or try and work it out himself. Well, we see in our text that Ahab chooses to rely on his own human initiative. And that is often the case when one turns from the living God. One is left to the futility of fending for oneself. And so he makes a decision that we read in verse 5. And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. This decision brings to the forefront the cruelty of life without God. When push comes to shove, Ahab's true colors come out. He no longer showed any regard for his own people who were likely suffering under the weight of the drought. He is more concerned about his animals dying than the masses who were starving in the streets of Samaria. The horses and mules were a symbol of wealth and power in the ancient world. And without horses to pull the chariots of war, the nation would be at risk, as would Ahab's kingship. Ahab had gone into self-preservation mode. Ironically, the broken wall of Jericho should have been there to remind him that it was God who would preserve the promised Land from the threats of other nations. But he had spurned that blessing, and now he is doing everything he could in his own strength to hang on to the blessings that he had received in the promised land without turning to the one who had given those blessings to him in the first place. And there is an important message for the church buried in this narrative. If you recall, I have said many times that what the rain meant for the land, the word of God meant for his people. Rain gave life to the land. The word gave spiritual life to the people. In the absence of rain, the people suffered physical want. And in the absence of the word, the people suffered spiritual want. And so we see the spiritual dimension of what is happening to Ahab. The blessings of God have been taken away. And the tendency of apostate man, of those steeped in their sin, is to try and secure the blessing of God in their own strength, even at the expense of their fellow man. And that truth is as relevant today as it was back then. When the people of God experience spiritual drought in the life of the congregation, the response can quickly become one of trying to secure God's blessing through our own human efforts. When we hear things like, I am concerned about the spiritual apathy in the midst of the congregation. I am worried about the future inheritance of my children. It is slipping through our fingers. Our children are spiritually spiritually dying and walking out the door of the church. These are real and genuine concerns, but the question is, how are we to react? Our default position is often that we need to do something and do something now to secure the blessing of God or it is going to be too late. And we act like the blessings of the Lord are within our power to secure that somehow by our own efforts. We can obtain the life-giving blessing of God. And Sometimes I wish that were true because we all want our church community to be vibrant and alive. And if there was some formula to make that a quick reality, why wouldn't we why wouldn't we implement it? But, beloved, I have hard news for those who have bought into this way of thinking. It is the message that Elijah gave to Ahab. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. God is sovereignly working through his word in his time and for his purposes. And it is only through his sovereign application of the word that renewed spiritual life will return to the land. And that is where we see the grace and mercy of our God in our text. Because even though Ahab was still relying on his own strength and initiative, God tells Elijah to bring the message to Ahab that renewal was on the way. Go show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. And with the rain that would water the earth, the word of God would return as well in order to bring spiritual renewal to the people. And we see in this the undeserved mercy of God, whereby he renews the life of those steeped in their sin. It is precisely how God has treated us in Jesus Christ. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But we need to realize That we appropriate the spiritual blessings of God through faith, worked through the Word. That is where God's people need to seek their blessing, in the Word of God. And that brings us to our second point. Where do you seek your blessing? In the Word of God. As we have seen, God is a God of love and grace, who does not treat his people as their sins deserve, No time and again he returns to his people with a living message of salvation. One example of this can be found in Jeremiah 3, verse 12 to 14, where God in his mercy through the prophet Jeremiah says to his people, go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, return faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt that you rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favours among foreigners under every green tree and that you have not obeyed my voice declares the Lord. Return, O faithless children, declares the Lord, for I am your master. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And that is what God is intending to do with the return of Elijah. By the word of God the rains would water the earth. But there would also be a spiritual renewal. The prophets would return to spiritually nourish the wayward people of God. You observe in our text that God in his wisdom and mercy had raised up a faithful servant in Obadiah, whom he used to preserve his word amid great persecution and spiritual decline. Our text says, Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, and when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave. And fed them with bread and water. Our God preserved a remnant through Obadiah so that his covenant promises to Israel would never be forsaken. And so that the life-giving message of salvation would return to bring spiritual renewal. Isn't that a comfort for you brothers and sisters? We live in a world that is increasingly hostile to the gospel message. Idolatry is all around us. The church in the Western world is in decline because more and more the covenant people of God have one foot in the world following the bales of our own day and one foot in the church. It is obvious by the liberalism seen in many denominations that the full gospel message is in decline and we are not immune, beloved. But in spite of the external pressures from the world and the internal compromises of the church, The message of the text is that our God will preserve a remnant faithful to him. It might look like the faithful church has been completely obliterated, but our God is faithful to his covenant promises. He will return to bring the rain, so to spiritually water the thirsty souls of his people through his word, because it is only through his word that renewal will, will come. Perhaps some of you are thinking, well, Pastor, what this message boils down to once again is that if I am experiencing spiritual apathy in my life, then all I need to do is read my Bible more regularly, attend Bible study more frequently, immerse myself in the Word, and then everything will be better. But that would be a rather superficial understanding of the message because one can know the message of the Gospel without really finding spiritual life. Our text is associating the return of God's Word with renewed spiritual life. If there is no renewal of spiritual life, then you are missing something. Jesus says to the Jews, God's covenant people, in John 5, verse 39, 40, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is, that, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refu- refuse to come to me that you may have life. You see, the word of God is powerful and efficacious, meaning that it instills spiritual life because it is the good news that proclaims Christ. The gospel message needs to be accepted in faith so that we know Christ as our personal Savior. When you read it, you need to seize hold of the truth contained therein with the eyes of faith. You need to cling to the promises of God like they are the blood in your veins that give you life. And it needs to be etched into every fiber of your being that I live because he lives. Christ has made me alive through the power of his word. I can't do it, but he can. And how does our living God instill such spiritual life into his people? What he said about the rain for the land also applies to spiritual renewal. It shall not rain except by my word. And what happens in the final verse of text Well, they both go their own way. Ahab, in his futile attempts to secure God's blessing in his own strength, heads in one direction, and Obadiah secretly awaiting the return of God and his word in another. And of all things, Obadiah meets up with none other than the returning prophet of God, bearing the gospel message with instructions to tell the wayward Ahab, I am going to send rain upon the earth. Renewal was on its way. Beloved of our Lord Jesus Christ, where are you seeking your blessings? Ahab looked to Baal and was left empty-handed, both physically and spiritually, so that he went out into the world to try and secure his own blessings, but he would not succeed in his own strength. Obadiah, on the other hand, knew that the return of God's blessing rested in God's sovereign word, and his hope was not in vain, because God is a loving covenant God, who has ordained that there should be a church destined to salvation. In God's love and mercy, he returns to his people time and again, showering us with the life-giving message of salvation, so that we who often live under the spiritual malaise and oppression of sin might be the recipients of renewed covenant life as his people. Amen.